Yeah, something I got on my brain is algorithms. I think a lot of people know what that means now. I don't think you have to be an IT guy. I don't think you have to be a techie to know what that means or to, to have heard it. It seems like everybody talks about it. Everybody's turned super technical. Maybe we are, maybe we are eventually getting to that futuristic sci-fi world where everybody talks in very complex, exotic techno language. I don't know. But uh, a lot of people know what an algorithm is. It's basically, it's the thing that, that tells you what, what it thinks you want. It's not as simple as that, but that's the way most people understand it. It's the way that digital technology, you know, especially the, the internet, takes data from you, it, it, it tracks your patterns, and then tries to give you a quote-unquote experience that fits your taste. And a lot of people don't like being defined that way. A lot of people don't like having targeted ads given to them. I mean, many of us don't like any ads. And that's, I think that's the thing that bothers people the most about it. It's not that, you know, this, these digital mediums are trying to cater to their interests and make things unique or customized in some way for them. It's the, the idea of, of people exploiting that or of not even people, because it doesn't, you know, even though people program these things, it's, it's a form of that AI fear, that AI paranoia, that science fiction, you know, the, the topic of so much science fiction. It's the idea of these machines are learning about us. And yeah, a person programmed it, but there is something a little strange. You almost see it as, you know, an early form of the AIs are going to take over. Because it would be that subtle. You know, I think I talked on here before about CAPTCHA. When you have to enter a word or click a button that says, I'm not a robot. The fact that a human has to, you know, create something. The fact that a human creates something for other human beings to use. But for another human being to access it, you have to click a checkbox that says, I'm not a robot. I mean, that's freaking insane. Like, imagine going to a place. Imagine going to a building. And before you're allowed in, like a bar, a bar IDs you to make sure you're 21 or over. Imagine going to an establishment to buy something and being asked to, you know, confirm you're not a robot. You know, I'm not even talking about, you know, testing you, even just asking you, are you a robot? And you have to say no before you can come in here and access this place. It's insane. So the fact that we do that in this virtual world tells you something. It's an early form of what could be some kind of AI takeover, which I'm not really worried about. I'm not terribly worried about that. But a lot of people do come into contact with this and they, you know, I would say it causes a, a mild amount of unease, if nothing else. And I had an experience about five years ago. It was quite a while ago. I think it was when I first got a smartphone and I was at a party and I had nothing open on my phone. I don't even know if I had Facebook on my phone at all. Like, I don't even know if I had the app. I don't know if I had these other things that people are concerned about. But I had nothing open, and I was talking to some people about bail bonds, and I have no idea what I was saying or why. Like, I have no idea what possible conversational insight I would have into bail bonds. I've never gone to jail. I've never known anybody who works in the bail bonds business. The people I've known who have gone to jail, I've never asked them about their experience with bail bonds. So what I, I was 
what I can't even imagine what I, what right I even had to talk about bail bonds, but I do vaguely remember talking about them. And the next day I woke up and I got targeted ads online for bail bonds. You know, this wasn't me Googling bail bonds. It wasn't me. All I did is say it out loud at a party the night before. And there were a lot of people out on a patio talking, drinking. And I said it out loud and it was there. And, you know, I knew it's obviously not a coincidence. Nothing about my digital footprint or whatever it's called would bring about bail bonds, especially immediately after, the very next morning after this party. So we've all had experiences like that. You know, I recently ordered dog food online for the first time, maybe a few weeks ago. And since then, I'm getting a bunch of targeted ads for dog food. The weird thing is, I used my mom's Amazon account, and I did it through my own computer, but I did it through her account, which is not attached at all to any of my email addresses or my social media accounts. But I can't scroll through Instagram without getting tons of dog food ads now. So you can see where it's all... There is something insidious about it. There is something sinister. And... But that said, beyond like acknowledging that, beyond saying, yeah, it, I don't like it, and it does cause me, a, you know, just a mild amount of unease, it's also not something I'm worried about. In the same way that I'm no longer... In the same way that I'm no longer worried about surveillance or privacy issues. And if you've noticed, that conversation has died way down. And I don't think it's because of the government won. I don't think it's because the government just finally... I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's necessarily a win for them. I think it has more to do with the fact that everybody is watching everybody. And it's more, the, the, it's, it's more of a peer-based surveillance, almost the panopticon where you never know. Look up Foucault's Panopticon. I feel like it's a, a great illustration for what the internet is and what social media is in particular, but also just our entire world right now because all these things are connected. And it used to be where the internet was something that you could log on to. You would, you know, of course, you had dial-up, but still, it was just something that you... It was sitting there, and it seemed like... Even though the internet was all these different people's computers or all these pe different people connecting to the same things and connecting with each other it was still it felt like something that was in your house that you turn on and off kind of like a tv you know where if it's not on you know there's nothing going on and uh, you know over time though it's like as the internet has become more integrated into our lives it's become a bigger feature it being on our phones it's really around us and active all the time and i've mentioned before how you know even if you pull a you know, a Ted Kaczynski, and you say, I'm not going to be on social media. I'm not going to take photos. I'm not going to have a smartphone. All those things that Ted Kaczynski, you know, those were central to Ted Kaczynski's values. That was his big thing, is, is still having a flip phone and hating smartphone users and, social, and people on social media. But, uh, you know, if you're going to pull a, a Ted Kaczynski like that, you still can't escape. Not today. You're still going to end up in the background of someone's picture. You know, you still can't escape the database. Yeah, you can have less of a presence. You can do it. It, it can become an involuntary thing. It's almost like, you know, I read the, the Bhagavad Gita, and Krishna says, you know, you, you're going to have to be part of this war one way or another. Krishna's saying, you know, you're going to have to join the war one way or another, and you can either 
deliberately fight for the side that you think is good or suddenly realize that you've been pulled into the war and you're not on the side that you should have been on. And that Krishna has a much more beautiful, timeless way of putting it. But I kind of feel the same way about the internet. And the internet is a war. World War Internet. You know, that's kind of what it is. It's, you know, it's definitely brought out a lot of tension and fighting. It's definitely a, a psychic war. It always has been. You know, people have always fought on the internet. That's always been the stereotype is these nerds arguing with each other about petty things. And who knew that once the, the mainstream started using the internet, once moms and grandmas and families were all over there, they chose to fight too. <laughs> it turns out everybody has a reason to fight on the internet. If that's not a war, I don't know what is. But anyway, so, uh, you know, the internet did used to be this thing, though, that you could turn on and off. And then now it's just, we're swimming in it. You can't avoid it. And it is kind of like a war where it's going to affect you one way or another. And so you can choose, you can be very deliberate in how you use it and what it means to you and, and why you use it. Not that you have to think those questions, you have to ask those questions. Uh, although I think it is good to, you know, maybe take some pause when you, before doing things on it, maybe. I don't really do that. I'm completely reckless. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> no no self awareness or anything. But uh, but yeah, it is very much a war. It is sort of like that in the Bhagavad Gita, what Krishna says, where it's you know you can either deliberately choose to use the internet, as Krishna said, in the way that you want to use it for for what you see as the the side of good, or you can you know get pulled into it in a way that you may not like, and that does happen. And what's funny about that, though, is is what what it's not just about good and evil, because of course Krishna says that both sides came from God. Both sides are God. You know, both these things are part of the wholeness. So it's not as simple as good and evil, and that can make choosing a side more difficult. And you know, I'm I'm not all about I'm not about choosing sides, but I am about deliberate action. And I think through deliberate action, you will align with the things that fit with you. And you will harmonize with things. It might not be easy because you can't just say, I'm a Democrat or Republican or I'm a this or I'm a that. You know, I'm a Christian. Whatever it is, you know, whatever identity marker you need or you think you need or people are trying to pull you into, you know, it'll seem because like, because that's like a quick fix. That's like a person who takes psychedelics in order to experience something divine. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's like the quick version where it's like, oh, I'm going to take this this material thing and let let it set, you know let it work its its thing in my body and I, I will have that experience through this which is kind of cool when you think about it but it's also you know to me it's it's sort of like this quick it's like a cheat code but you know it's it's I don't know you get something when you beat a video game with cheat codes you know you get something different out of it and sometimes it's fun and I think that's kind of how you should approach some of these things is Sometimes it's fun to use a cheat code, but if you really want to experience the game for what it is, I don't think you should just jump in. And, and so when when you jump into these roles too, when you when you jump into these identities, when you're like, you know, I'm a I'm a Democrat or a Republican, you get kind of high off that. You kind of experience a, a contact high from the group, and you feel this sudden like harmony. Oh, these these are my people. 
These are my people now. I have a tribe. It's this pseudo-tribalism is what I'd call it. Because people have been calling that tribe. You know, they say that in the U.S. we have this political tribalism. I think it's pseudo-tribalism. You know, because real tribes are focused on survival. And it, it's, it's, what much, it's a much bigger mess, psychological mess. You know, this, this whole political ideology thing that we've developed now. So it's like almost pseudo-tribal. But anyway, back to the internet. You know, we're swimming in it now. And part of swimming in it means that you can say bail bonds. You can say bail bonds out loud at a party. And me just saying it into here, you know, who knows? I'll let you know what happens. But saying bail bonds, you know, next thing you know, you're getting an ad. Literally the next day. You know, if that's not a sign that the internet is... If that's not a sign that the internet is everywhere... If that's not a sign that the internet is no longer this thing that turns on only when you push a button on your big bulky desktop computer in the corner of your living room that you awkwardly sit at while your family walks behind you and looks at your screen, you know, if that's not a sign that the internet has been integrated far more into our society, I don't know what is. And of course, we will continue to see other ways that it does that. But it, it is this other dimension, you know, and it's, I, you know, and when, when people say another dimension, people imagine this vivid science fiction, you know, other world. And I say that as one word, the, the other world, you know, with weird, uh, it, it, the color's different and everything's very vivid and, and mystical. And we think of space and gases and, and weird lights. I don't know. I don't know what people think of when they think of an alternate dimension. But they tend to have this very hi-fi idea of what another dimension is. But you can see where we create smaller dimensions within the dimension we're living in. And I, I say that just meaning like the dimension we're in is Earth. And we all do have, even though we see things differently, everybody has something different going on. We all, we all know we are participating in this whole Earth thing, and that's the dimension we're in. But then we create these sub-dimensions, and the internet is one of those. The internet, you know, I, and I think you could say the same for, you know, letters, writing letters to people, publishing books. You know, it's not just that the internet was suddenly, oh, humans finally progressed to the point where they created a new dimension, and that was the internet. No. Books, everything we do. You know, everything we do is creating little dimensions, entertainment, you know, movies, stories. The fact that just random dudes can create these quote-unquote universes. You think about the Star Wars universe. That doesn't just mean the movies and the, the stories, the comic books and the toys and all that stuff. It means that people can actually visualize this as a universe that exists and operates. And they want to know more about it. Even Kevin Smith, you think about Kevin Smith where, or The Simpsons, that's always interesting to me when something that's meant to be comedic and just depicts like suburban life and strip malls and that kind of crap actually creates a very vivid universe, a dimension. Because that's what that is. People recognize that, oh, you know, you know Marvel created this dimension and we want to keep hearing about it. It's interesting to us. It's not just a one-off. Because that's what kind of pulpy stuff wasn't as good at. You think about the old days of serial stories, serial comics. You know, I, I'm probably wrong. There's probably some that did a good job of this. But in general, you know, I've, I've no, I'm no stranger to pulp myself. And <laughs> I would love to be quoted with that. 
I'm no stranger to pulp, but, uh, you know, I'm not. And like, really though, the, the thing about pulp, like both the blessing and the curse is that if you just want to read something and not feel completely sucked in and you just kind of want to enjoy a story, pulpy stuff is good for that, but it's not good if you want to get sucked into a dimension. And that's what Lord of the Rings is. Lord of the Rings is, is an incredible dimension. And Tolkien was, he was Gandalf. He was a wizard. You know, he really, I mean, I wanted to come up with a better comparison than Gandalf, but why not just go with the, the Nike swoosh? You know, why not just go with the, the, big, the big man of the series, you know? Tolkien was Gandalf, and he created a dimension. If that's not wizardry, I don't know what is, at least to the degree that he did it. You know, you know, just everything from the linguistics to the art that he made. Because Tolkien's one of those weird freaks like Michael Jackson and Kanye West who achieved a lot of success for one thing, but it turns out they're secretly really talented visual artists, drawing, painting. Tolkien is one of those, and I highly recommend his, his beautiful Lord of the Rings artwork. But the point is, is he's a wizard, and he created a, a very vivid dimension that has led to other people creating dimensions. A bunch of younger, less powerful, but you know, not to take anything away from them, wizards have created their own stories. People have written their own fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, they've created their own fantasy and sci-fi universes, dimensions. So it's interesting. We create these dimensions, but the internet is one of them. But it's not necessarily, I don't consider it necessarily like a hi-fi dimension. Especially early on, you think about the way a GeoCities page would have looked. These blocky images, probably pixelated, you know, horrible, you know, repeating brick backgrounds, font colors all over the place. They weren't very pretty. I like that. You know, I liked what they looked like. You know, there's something, I, you know, it's just maybe it's nostalgia, but I liked it. But it was this primitive dimension where we could communicate in similar ways to the way we do in person and still represent ourselves with images of ourselves. Text. Now we can do it with video. Now it's, it's gotten a little bit more hi-fi. But it's not just the visual aspect of it. It's not just that we created this thing that we can look at. It's now a part of our brains. And the more we use it, the more that it becomes integrated. And this isn't one of those, you know, like, I'm not a phone shamer, and I don't think I've ever had to say this because I just think it's implied, but I'm also not an internet shamer. Like, back in the day, people used to shame everybody. Uh, I remember a, a friend making fun of another friend because he found out that this kid checked the internet every day. This is in, like, 1999. And uh, I just remember thinking, shit, like, you know, I check it every day, too. Is that bad? No, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I knew it wasn't bad. I knew it was a really interesting new thing, a new way to communicate and get information. But there was, you did have some reluctance. And then little do you know, this thing is fully integrated in our lives. A lot of jobs depend on it. Everything depends on it in some way. I mean, there's a lot of people where if they, if they couldn't access the internet, they wouldn't be able to pay their bills, both in terms of money coming in as well as, you know, actually paying their bills online <laughs> you know so uh, on both ends they got them on both ends there the internet's burning that person's candle at both ends you need the internet to get your money and you need the internet to give your money 
to the to the man to the bill collector but anyway so it's it's you know i think now more than ever we can see it's this other dimension that parallels our lives and interacts with our day-to-day real life but it still is separate there is still a separation and even though that separation has gotten a little more blurry you know it's not the same internet that you turned on on your big desktop computer in the living room but you know there's still a separation you know it's like we're not totally integrated with our you know with our uh with computers for that matter and they've tried you know beyond the fact that we carry little mini computers with us little phones which aren't phones they're computers you know that's really what they are you know maybe calling them phones makes us feel like we're not quite as big of nerds as we all are because even the average even somebody who's like totally white trash didn't graduate high school and god bless him i'm not saying this is a criticism but i mean somebody who you would never expect to know how to you know if this if you found out that this person was a whiz they were a real whiz on the on the internet in 1999 you'd be shocked you'd be like I'm shocked that person even knows what the internet is in 1999. Meanwhile, now, they're a freaking producer. Like, they, they're they all over the internet. They're using it to its full capacity. Like, it's nothing. And little kids are doing it, too, you know? It's, if that's not a sign that it's become integrated, you know, what, el- what, it, what else is? You know, the day that, like, you know, rednecks are just cruising on the internet all day which they which they're doing you know that's that's just total that's total integration those are the things you have to look for you know don't look at the person don't look at like the rich person who's like every every second sunday our family puts our, turns our phones off and puts them in the phone drawer and we have a day like to- where we don't ever look at our phones. You know, that's like a that's like a rich person, or just not even a rich person, but that's like that's a person who's who's way too self-aware. You can't judge like the state of the internet on people like that. You can't you can't like evaluate the state of of anything with people like that because they have the luxury of deciding. Whereas if you look at like a white trash person, they're gonna be like what do you mean the fucking phone drawer? What do you mean stack our phones in the middle of the dinner table so that nobody looks at them while we eat? Like like somebody who's just like, you know, totally, uh, totally like part of the earth. Cause that's like, when I say white trash, what I really mean is paganism. What I really mean are like the true pagans of this world, which was my experience growing up. Cause I, you know, I, I was close with a couple families who would definitely be considered on the redneck end of the spectrum. I, I wouldn't call them trash, but they were certainly, you know, they were of a certain type of person. And they were pagans, they were savages, but they were good people and they lived a pagan lifestyle and it was fascinating. And so, like, when I talk about, you know, basically don't look at what, like, the the 40-year-old women who do yoga, you know, don't look at the way that they approach the internet with their weird, like, I don't know, just don't look at them. If you really want to know, if you really want to know the state of things, go with the savages. What are the savages doing? You know, what are the rednecks doing? 
They're certainly not stacking their phones in the middle of the table. They're not even thinking about algorithms. They're just using it. They're just one with it. They're saying whatever they want. They're, they're talking shit. They're taking selfies. Whatever it is they're doing, it's pagan. Whatever it is they do with their phones is true paganism. And it's what, it's what the people that neo-pagans wish they were would be doing now. Because the thing about you know ancient paganism is they were using current technology. They were using what was available to them. So, <laughs> you know, if they were around today, they'd probably be like, oh, I'm going to use this phone. This, this is my magical stick. This is magic. And they'd probably do something magical with it. And I, and I bet rednecks are doing magical things with technology because they're not sitting there thinking about their screen time. They're not sitting there, you know, they're, they're not hyper aware. You know, they have no inhibitions. It's like they're, they're probably in a flow state. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, I'd like to turn this back toward um, algorithms for a second, though, where, you know, I think that you should take, if you're going to use, you know, talking about like going back to like the Bhagavad Gita and, you know, deliberately joining the war, deliberately using the Internet in a certain way, maybe. That's not what these pagan savage rednecks are doing. But at the same time, they are one with it almost. That's how I feel. And I know I'm completely romanticizing it. I know this is probably completely unrealistic. <laughs> you know, I, I know that, but, you know, I, I'm allowed to fantasize a little bit too. Um, but when you're, when you're using something, you know, you, those people aren't being deliberate, but they are just kind of one with it. So if you can't be one with it, just, you know, be deliberate. Know why you're using it and what you're using it for. And don't play any games and don't play any tricks on yourself. But I think one approach you should take, one, one move you could make is to not let the algorithms win. And I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about a surveillance state at this point. It's, I think we are, we are the people surveilling each other. And so I'm not even worried about the government. We're watching each other. We're filming each other. I mean, you trip on the sidewalk and there's somebody filming you, three people filming you, and, and you're lucky if one person helps you, you know? And they're going to post it online without your consent. So in this whole Panopticon model, the people who are, are watching us are our peers. And you can even see that, you know, with the way people police each other's behavior. You know, who needs a government to police you when people are doing it to themselves? It's that sort of idea. That's the idea of the Panopticon, is you don't even need a guard. Because you never know which one of your peers is watching you at any given time. And you never know if they're going to report you. Or do something. You know, you never really know. It's it's the mystery. And so it's the, uh, the uncertainty and the mystery that makes you behave. Because you never really know what someone is doing. Whether someone is watching you or not. Or going to turn you in or not or just think bad thoughts about you you never know because that's that seems to be people's biggest fear if god forbid somebody you know think bad thoughts about them but uh but yeah you know one thing you could do is break the algorithms if you're not comfortable with them you know don't don't fall down the the path of just don't allow yourself to be too reproducible because the sad truth is, is that if somebody wanted to create some sort of bot, like a message bot, 
by looking at your messages and your text messages, all that stuff, they could probably do it pretty easily and it might take a while for somebody to figure out that they're even talking to a bot. So try not to be a bot yourself, you know, in your thinking and your talking. Try to, you know, and I'm not saying you have to make yourself super unique. I'm not saying you have to dye your, you know, hair into a pink mohawk because that's an algorithm as well, you know, all that stuff, fashion, even just creativity, you know, because the thing about algorithms is they're not just a product of computers and the digital medium. They're part of what we do. You know, there is something natural about them. And uh, it's what happens when something becomes a trend. It becomes almost an algorithm. Oh, you do this, this, and this. Oh, if you like that, you will like this. Oh, come over to my house and watch this movie. I think you'd like it. How is that different than a, you know, a targeted ad? How is that different from something being advertised to you in some way? How is that different from your data being used by someone you know? Imagine that. Imagine if the big concern was that, you know, when these websites collect your data, they were actually selling it to your friends so that your friends could use it. They were selling it to people who want to be your friends so that they could, like, (laughs) trick you into being their friend. I don't know. The sort of things people do to get significant others where they'll, they'll lie about something they're into or something they did or something they believe just to just to win that love just to get that validation you know it's sort of like that where you know if the big concern was it's not that the corporations are selling your data to other corporations who are going to try to sell you bail bonds and dog food it's that they're selling it to other people but that's kind of what we're doing to each other too I think we're constantly collecting data from each other and and trying to put it to use, trying to make sense of it and trying to use it in some way. And often for good, like, you know, it's that same kind of thing where it's like, oh, hey, I think you'd like this. You know, if your friend recommends you something, you shouldn't turn around and be like, what are you, a targeted ad? What are you, a targeted ad? You know, you shouldn't turn around and do that but you can look at you know it it should give you some peace of mind when it comes to algorithms because you can be like oh these aren't some new thing these aren't some new thing that came out of nowhere it's something that we already do as people in the way that we communicate to each other and when you you know sometimes you fall down a hole where you just you do all the expected things but you can try to break those algorithms and, and not be a rebel for rebel's sake, but just not letting the algorithms completely consume you and not being a completely predictable person. Because that's kind of what evolution is on a personal level, but also actual evolution, you know, actual biological evolution. What that is, is it's breaking the algorithm. It's, you know, people were responding to nature in such a way and, and living this way and surviving this way and now they have to start veering in another direction so you can see where in a way you know simply evolving is breaking the algorithm and when relationships go bad you can see where they basically fall into an algorithm themselves and sometimes people want that sometimes that's what's comfortable is the fact that you know exactly what your significant other is going to say when you watch the same sitcom for the 20th time and you know exactly what they're going to order when you go out to you know the Thai restaurant some people find that comforting other people it ends up becoming kind of a a merry-go-round hell 
and I think I've mentioned the story on here before about an ex-girlfriend getting mad at me for ordering the same thing I order at the Thai restaurant every week. And, you know, of course, that wasn't about what I was ordering, you know. Uh, if, I think if anything illustrates a failing relationship better, you know, I don't know if there's anything that illustrates a failing relationship better than that, where it's like it's not about the fact that you were ordering the same thing every week. Because she was, too, and we were going to the same place. But it's just that feeling of, oh, we're stuck, and it's not comforting. But at the same time, there's a reason why we're here. I'm ordering this same thing every week because I know I'm going to like it. And in that same way, it's not like this relationship was horrible. You know, there was something good about it, otherwise it wouldn't have still been going on. But at the same time, it had kind of worn out its welcome. You know, things weren't really going great. And that's kind of how it is with the food. It's not like I was ordering poison. You know, it's not like, oh my God, we go to this restaurant every week and you order poison. You're, you're, you're poisoning yourself at this restaurant every week. It's not even like that. You know, it's not like the relationship was poison either. But you can see where just something like that perfectly illustrates the boredom and frustration you can feel when you're on a merry-go-round, when you're living in Groundhog Day. And how it's, it's almost like, you know, you don't, you don't want to be, it's, it's things have become too predictable. Things feel like they're just part of an algorithm because that's what, that's what relationships become is relationships become their own algorithm and you just end up stuck and you're getting the same, you're repeating things over and over. You're seeing the same things over and over. It's like you're in this niche and you want out of that niche. You've been typecasted. The algorithm thinks I'm this way. But I think you can, you know, you can play with those things. I think you can break the algorithm. I think you can try to be... I think you can try to do things your own way. And not to the point... Not to be... Not get, you know, too self-serving about it. But just try to be one step ahead of the algorithms at the very least. And I mean that in the flesh. I mean it on the phone. I mean it on the internet, you know, in all of these different dimensions. If you're creating dimensions, because I mean, that, that's another point too, where, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, he broke the algorithm by creating Lord of the Rings. There was nothing like it. You know, sure, he was inspired by a variety of ancient mythologies, scriptures. He, he drew from a lot of different sources, cultures, real, real life civilizations and cultures. And even though he was drawing from things that are there, he managed to create something new, you know, uh, pretty much an entirely different dimension. And he did it in a way that really hasn't been matched since. I think there are some other people who have done a good job. The Harry Potter lady, um, I always forget her name. It's not no sign of disrespect. You know, I'm not a fan, but I, like I saw one or two of those movies. I've never read the books, but even just seeing, I saw one of the movies, maybe like half of one, and I also saw the Fantastic Beasts movie. And he, as someone who's never read the books, doesn't care about Harry Potter, so to speak, so to speak, um, I was really impressed with the, the dimension she created, the universe. You know, she's a world builder. That's the term they use for these people. And it's a world builder, a dimension creator. These are all synonyms, you know. But I was, I, I immediately 
got a feel for the world she created and it was impressive and it's not something i need in my life you know harry potter is not something i need in my life but at the same time it's something that i immediately recognized as a dimension but then you have people who who try to you know ape what those people did you have people who try to create their own little dimensions but it really just ends up being a pale imitation of lord of the rings you know a pale imitation of harry potter i assume those exist when i worked for scholastic books there were some books so that would have been like 2009 there were definitely some that would have been like right after the peak of harry potter and there were definitely some book covers that looked like they were cheap harry potter imitations but because i never read them i can't say maybe they were lush and beautiful and unique dimensions in their own right i don't know they looked like cheap harry potter knockoffs to me but uh they didn't break any algorithms but harry potter did you know, Lord of the Rings did, Star Wars did, a lot of things did, a lot of great bands, a lot of people who aren't that famous, a lot of things that are obscure also did. I mean, it's, it's almost more common for those to break it. There's, you know, uh, the word iconoclasm comes in here as well. So it's not really about something's level of popularity or success, but you can see that both ends of the spectrum do it. You can break an algorithm no matter who you are and what you're doing. And uh, in that way, you stay one step ahead. If you are concerned about being replicated, being reproduced, or not being what you could be, because maybe that's the concern, is that if a computer can easily tell you what you think you what it thinks you would like, you know, maybe you're not doing what you could do. Maybe you're not being the best person that you could be, but what I do know is that a redneck would never think about any of these things. <laughs> they would just use it. And maybe those people are, maybe those are the people who are going to inherit the earth. You know, that's kind of my idea, is not that the meek will inherit the earth, but the, the white trash, superhuman, pagan rednecks will inherit the earth and i'm okay with that the algorithms that they will produce are something that i'm okay with the targeted ads that they will get that they will click on without a second thought i'm okay with that these uh, savage pagan rednecks of the future Children can run free. 